0: Was Alcoholics Anonymous biblical? Was Alcoholics Anonymous started by Christians? Does Alcoholics Anonymous contradict Christianity and contradict the gospel of Jesus Christ? Hey, everybody, this is Pastor Chad, and you're listening to the Way Radio podcast. And today, obviously, we are going to start answering those questions. If you listen to earlier episodes, I talked about the fact that I spent 13 years in Alcoholics Anonymous. I've been Sober for about 27, 28 years now. And the reason I wanted to uh, talk about this today is all the years I've been in ministry and working with people that are suffering from the sin of addiction, sin of alcoholism. uh, One thing that constantly comes up from Professing Christians trying to defend Alcoholics Anonymous is the claim that it was started by Christians, and it's uh, the 12 steps are based on Christian doctrine or Christian principles or they come or or they're founded in the Bible. So I wanted to uh, do a series That's going to be quite long. It's not going to be back-to-back. This is the first episode in Does Alcoholics Anonymous Contradict Christianity? So this is part one, and maybe once a month or every five or six weeks, I'll add to this series. And then I'll be putting the notes into um, an article on the recoveryreformation.org website. Uh, in th- uh, that's about the, the big book or the book Alcoholics Anonymous And that's that's what we're going to be discussing today So, again, I want to repeat those questions Is Alcoholics Anonymous biblical? Was AA started by Christians? Does AA contradict Christianity? And does it contradict the gospel of Jesus Christ? In 1 Thessalonians 5.21, we're told But test everything Hold fast to what is good. And then in John 4, 1, we're told, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. So how do we test the spirits? And I'm using that word spirits to define any kind of teaching that is going to Affect us, I guess, or any kind of spiritual teaching or Christian or teaching that professes to be Christian or religious. How do we know if something is true or false um, from a Christian perspective? If we look at second Timothy three, 16 through 17, it says all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work. It's very important to understand that our measure and our standard of truth, the authority of the, the ultimate authority when it comes to truth, is God's Word in Scripture. If you're going to be a Christian, you are blessed to be a Christian because we can measure everything according to Scripture. That's how we test everything. So that's what we're going to do with the book Alcoholics Anonymous. That's the title of the book. People in the program call it the big book, but but the actual title is is Alcoholics Anonymous. It's basically the Bible of the AA program. Uh, it's, It's where the program is laid out. It explains how the program was founded, how it started, and it gives instruction on how to live according to the Alcoholics Anonymous program. And the 12 steps. So, what we're going to do is we're going to hold the teachings of the book Alcoholics Anonymous, which is basically the program and the steps, up to the light of Scripture and see if the teachings of Alcoholics Anonymous are in agreement with or contradict Christian doctrine. So, what I'm going to be doing as we go through these episodes is I'm sharing excerpts from the first 164 pages of the book Alcoholics Anonymous, and I'm using the fourth edition. The rest of that book is personal stories uh, of people that have gone through the AA program uh, years ago back in the 30s and 40s mainly and so they don't, they're do not they not really applicable to this because the first 164 pages are the program of Alcoholics Anonymous and later on we'll get into the other book that, that they use alongside of it which is called 12 Steps and 12 Traditions which is basically an instruction manual on how to work the steps in detail but everybody in AA is very familiar with the book Alcoholics Anonymous. So let's look at this book, and as we begin, I want to look at the foreword to the first edition, and I'm taking a quote from page Roman numeral thirteen, which says, Many do not comprehend that the alcoholic is a very sick person. So right there we have the claim from Alcoholics Anonymous, or the it's alluding to the fact that, that, that alcoholism is a disease. Now does that line up with scripture? If we look at Galatians five, nineteen through 21 it says, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So these are obviously a list of sins that Paul is laying out. And notice he uses the word drunkenness. Well, obviously he's talking about alcoholism. He also uses the word sorcery. Sorcery in the original Greek is the word pharmakia from where we derive our word in English, pharmaceutical. So it's referring to drug addiction or the use of drugs um, in an illicit manner, I guess you could say. So you've got a contradiction right there. Alcoholics Anonymous is teaching that alcoholism is a disease and drug addiction are a disease. The Bible teaches that they are sin. Now, do alcoholic does alcoholism and drug addiction cause physical problems? Absolutely. It can change your physiology. Uh, it obviously, alcohol does damage to your liver It does damage to your muscles It damages your brain So it can cause physical harm But it is not caused by a disease You're not born with a, de- with a disease Or a predisposition to addiction or alcoholism So erroneously labing, al- labeling alcoholism a disease What it does Is it removes the conviction and guilt That must be experienced through the realization of sin Through the message of the gospel And think about the fact that disease cannot be repented of. If you understand the gospel message, you understand that when we sin, we're breaking the law of God, we've sinned before a perfect and holy God, and we we need to be reconciled to Him and made right before Him. That conviction of sin is very important in bringing us to the cross and opening our eyes and our hearts to the truth of the gospel. That doesn't happen if you're told you have a disease, and I can tell you that from experience. I was told I had a disease years ago, back in 1992, and that's what brought me into the AA program, because my guilt went away, my a lot of my remorse went away. All the things I was blaming myself for, I was able to lay on this disease concept, which was the very wrong thing to do, because I was not dealing with the core issue, which was sin. And 13 years into the program, I ended up worse off than when I started. I wasn't drinking or using, I was just completely spiritually and emotionally a wreck because I had not dealt with my sin. I was putting a band-aid on a wound that was way bigger than a band-aid could cover, basically. If we move forward in the book to the forward to the second edition, it says Alcoholics Anonymous is not a religious organization. Neither does AA take any particular medical point of view, though we cooperate widely with the men of medicine as well as with the men of religion. Now that right there is pretty much a lie, because what you'll see as we go through this is that Alcoholics Anonymous teaches in the big book and in the book 12 Steps and 12 Traditions that by working the program you can have forgiveness of sins and you can be reconciled to your creator. You can have a relationship restored to one's creator. So based on those two points, it does qualify as a religion. And And again, I can tell you from experience, it also qualifies as a cult. Now you can tell by the way I speak of AA, I am biased against it, but I would ask you to compl- to please consider, to please continue to listen to these episodes, because the information that I'm giving you is not based on opinion. It's not my opinion. I'm simply taking the writings of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I'm comparing it to what we're taught of Christian doctrine through God's Word and Scripture. So this is not my opinion. I'm biased against it, because I've seen the damage it does, and because I'm a Christian, and... I believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, obviously I'm against anything that's contrary to that or leads somebody away from it. So I just wanted to, to put that out there. It uh, continues in the forward to the second edition. By personal religious affiliation, we include Catholics, Protestants, Jews, Hindus, and a sprinkling of Muslims and Buddhists. More than 15% of us are women. Second Corinthians 6, 14-15 says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? That verse applies very well to Alcoholics Anonymous because when you go to an AA meeting, you are in a religious service. The meeting is started by prayer. You talk about spiritual principles throughout the meeting, and then at the end of the meeting, everybody usually gathers together, holds hands, and recites the Lord's Prayer, which sounds like a nice thing. But if you consider the fact that it's very common knowledge in AA that in most meetings, if you bring up the name of Jesus Christ or talk about Christianity, you will be shunned for that. So it's, it's very much a, hypocritic, a point of hypocrisy on their part that they do not want to hear about religion, they don't want to hear about Christ, but at the end of every meeting they recite the Lord's Prayer. As we continue in the big book, the next section is called The Doctor's Opinion. And on page Roman numeral uh, 26, It says in this statement, he confirms what we do, what we who have suffered alcoholic torture must believe that the body of the alcoholic is quite as abnormal as his mind. But we were sure that our bodies were sickened as well. In our belief, any picture of the alcoholic which leaves out this physical factor is incomplete. The doctor's theory that we have an allergy to to alcohol interests us. As laymen, our opinion as to its soundness may, of course, mean little. But as ex-problem drinkers, we can say that his explanation makes good sense. It explains many things for which we cannot otherwise account. What they're talking about is they're getting more and more into this disease concept. And one thing you'll notice here is it says that the body of the alcoholic is quite as abnormal as his mind. One thing I remember very clearly going into AA is being taught that you're different than other people. And that makes you feel special. It gives you an excuse for what you've done, and you're in a club type of atmosphere. Again, you're not dealing with sin. You're being, bought into, you're being brought into, into a lie. Uh, again, in the doctor's opinion on page 27... We believe, and so suggested a few years ago, that the action of alcohol on these chronic alcoholics is is a manifestation of an allergy, that the phenomenon of craving is limited to this class and never occurs in the average temperate drinker. In nearly all cases, their ideals must be grounded in a power greater than themselves if if they are to recreate their lives. So in that first quote right there, From the book Alcoholics Anonymous The phenomenon of craving is limited to this class And never occurs in the average temperate drinker Folks, an alcoholic or a drug addict Is simply someone that has made the decision To abuse alcohol or drugs They've made the decision over and over again To abuse, abuse, abuse To use them habitually And it gets to the point where the sin is controlling them It's not disease And then they start getting into the religious aspects. In nearly all cases, their ideals must be grounded in a power greater than themselves if they are to recreate their lives. Now, that is the goal of Alcoholics Anonymous. It talks about salvation. It talks about forgiveness of sin. But if you go to a lot of meetings, and I went to meetings just about every other day for 13 years, everybody talks about their lives being recreated. Can Alcoholics Anonymous help somebody get sober and get their life back together? Yes, yes. Does Alcoholics Anonymous teach the gospel of Jesus Christ and help somebody deal with their sin issues that are are causing their drug addiction and their alcoholism? No. On page 30 of the doctor's opinion from the book Alcoholics Anonymous, all these and many others have one symptom in common. They cannot start drinking without developing the phenomenon of craving. This phenomenon, as we have suggested, may be the manifestation of an allergy which differentiates these people and that sets them apart as a distinct entity. Again, making them special, different. You can't blame me for being an alcoholic or a drug addict because I have a disease. It's a very severe Lie that the majority of society has bought into, and much of the church has bought into now as well. You can talk to a multi probably 90% of the pastors out there in so called Christian churches. If you bring them an alcoholic or an addict that is seeking help, they are going to assume they have a disease, they need special treatment, they will take them in either into an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting or a Celebrate Recovery meeting, which is not Christian. It's just the same program of AA and the 12 Steps that uh, John Baker and Rick Warren from Saddleback Church added some scriptures to so they could market and sell it as a Christian recovery program. It's the same program as AA. So there is no meta, and I will tell you, I'm pretty sure of this, that there is still no medical substantiation that I'm aware of for the AA disease concept. Alcoholism is the manifestation of sin. Again, does it cause physical problems? Yes. Is it caused by a physical problem? No. Maybe the manifestation of an allergy which differentiates these people and sets them apart as a distinct entity. So those in AA are told that they're unique and different from others because of their disease, and this leads to pride rather than repentance as more time sober is achieved. Sober is one of the idols of Alcoholics Anonymous. When you get a week sober, they give you a chip. When you get a month sober, they give you another chip. When you get a year, they give you another chip. I've got a bag full of chips from the years I was in that program. You worship time, so you're proud of what you've achieved. That's how the program. That's what the program has made into one of its biggest idols. Now I want to look at Chapter 1, and it's entitled Bill's Story. If you're familiar with the AA program, it was co-founded by a man named Bill Wilson. This man wrote the 12 Steps. He wrote the book Alcoholics Anonymous. He co-founded the program with another man named Dr. Bob. But when everybody thinks of AA, they think of how it started. They think of Bill Wilson. So this is his story. It's the first chapter in the book of Alcoholics Anonymous. On page 7, it says, Best of all, I met a kind doctor who explained that though certainly selfish and foolish... I had been seriously ill bodily and mentally. It relieved me somewhat to learn that in alcoholics, the will is amazingly weakened when it comes to combating liquor, though it often remains strong in other respects. So he was relieved, like I was alluding to earlier, to the fact that he thought he had a disease. It gave him an excuse. Page 8. I was was soon to be catapulted into what I like to call the fourth dimension of existence. I was to know happiness, peace, and usefulness in a way of life that is incredibly more wonderful as time passes. Now, I can tell you from experience and from what I've read about the last years of Bill Wilson's life, from what I've heard, he was not a happy person. He died, what I was told, basically screaming for a drink. I haven't confirmed that yet, but that's pretty common knowledge to a lot of people in the AA program. I can also tell you, spending 13 years in the AA program, that not everyone in that program is happiness, peaceful, and useful, and living a life that is incredibly more wonderful as time passes. One thing I noticed in AA, and I've seen this still to this day, many people, the longer they're sober in the program, the more miserable they become. And that's what happened to me. After 11 years, I started falling into a depression. I ended up being diagnosed with psychiatric issues. And at 13 years, that's when the Lord lifted me out of it. And all of that went away when I finally addressed the fact that I was trying to cover up a sin issue with something that was a lie. So not everyone that goes into AA has a happy, joyous life. I'd have to say in my experience, I saw more misery And I saw more suffering than I saw peace, genuine peace and joy, like you see from those our brothers and sisters in the Lord. And the other thing that you'll see a lot in the program is cross addiction and other emotional and mental issues are very common in AA. It says in the big book that the only requirement for AA membership is a desire to stop drinking. So there's a lot of smoking, there's a lot of gambling that I witnessed. You could be smoking pot, you could be popping pills. And you could still be going to AA, and if you're not drinking, you're part of the program. And I've seen a lot of cross-addiction with friends that I had in the program. Gambling, pill-popping, sex addiction, people cheating on their spouses. I saw all of that as I was in the program. So, again, something that is not quite... is trying to make the program into something that it's not quite on page 8 there. Page 10. With ministers in the world's religions... I parted right there. Now, this is like a biography of George, of Bill Wilson, so that's why he's writing this in the first person. With ministers, or, or an autobiography, rather. With ministers and the world's religions, I parted right there. When they talked of a God personal to me who was love, superhuman strength and direction, I became irritated and my mind snapped shut against such a theory. To Christ, I conceded the certainty of a great man, not too closely followed by those who claimed him his moral teaching most excellent for myself i had adopted those parts which those parts parts which seemed convenient and not too difficult the rest i disregarded so he came into writing this program already from a position of skepticism regarding christ and anything he might have heard of christian teaching or the gospel now on page 12 he's talking about after he had suffered from years of drinking and alcoholism, and he was in poor health, he thought he was hopeless, he meets a guy who's gotten sober through what he calls a religious experience. And he says on page 12, my friend suggested what then seemed a novel idea. Now he's, he, he doesn't like the idea of the classic God that so many picture that you hear about from religion. So he says, my friend suggested that what then seemed a novel idea. He said, Why don't you choose your own conception of God? It was only a matter of being willing to believe in a power greater than myself. Nothing more was required of me to make a beginning. Thus, I was convinced that God is concerned with us humans when we want Him enough. Now, let's look at that again. Why don't you choose your own conception of God? Folks, that's idolatry. We come to know God through His Word in Scripture. It's idolatry to make up a God that we're comfortable with, a God that that we're going to be happy with, that meets our standards. It's completely backwards. You cannot make up your own conception of God. The only way you can know who God is is through God's word and scripture, through the gospel of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 8.6 says, Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Now he continues, God is concerned with us humans when we want him enough. Now that contradicts Romans 3.10-11, through 11, which says, As it is written, none is righteous, no not one, no one understands, no one seeks for God. Folks, if God was concerned with us when we were concerned with Him, there would be no Christian faith. You see? No one seeks after God. No one is going to want God. Until He works in the heart of a dead sinner, regenerates us, and brings us to believe, no one is going to seek after God. Page 13. This is a huge one. This is where He's supposedly uh, having His... His moment of transformation. He writes There I humbly offered myself to God, as I then understood him, to do with me as he would. I placed myself, notice, he's doing the work, unreservedly under his care and direction. I admitted for the first time that of myself I was nothing, that without him I was lost. I ruthlessly faced my sins and became willing to have my new found friend take them away, root and branch. I have not had a drink since. My friend promised when these things were done, I would enter upon a new relationship with my creator. That I would have elements of a way of living which answered all of my problems. Belief in the power of God, plus enough willingness, honesty, and humility to establish and maintain the new order of things were the essential requirements. So he says, I placed myself... Folks, outside of Christ we are dead in sin and trespasses. The unregenerate have no ability to place themselves under God's care. Colossians 2:13 says, "And you, you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses." He makes us alive. We have no ability to place ourselves under his care. And then he says, "I would enter upon a new relationship with my creator." Reconciliation without Jesus Christ is not possible. He also, on the earlier section, I forgot to make a note of this. I ruthlessly faced my sins and became willing to have my newfound friend take them away, root and branch. Folks, I don't even have to get into that. Any Christian knows that there is no forgiveness of sin outside of Jesus Christ. But then he says, I would enter upon a new relationship with my Creator. Folks, reconciliation without Jesus Christ is impossible. John fourteen six says, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And Acts four twelve says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And then he says He writes, Belief in the power of God, plus enough willingness, honesty, and humility to establish and maintain the new order of things, were the essential requirements. Again, this is a salvation by works that he's talking about. But Ephesians 2 8 9 tells us, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. That's the end of Bill's story, the end of chapter 1, and that's where I'm going to close this today. But I want you to keep in mind when we do the next episode, chapter 2, you will continue to see that works-based message and more and more contradictions of Christian doctrine and of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And again, the reason I'm doing this, for one thing, is I want to help arm people that are trying to show People that are in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous Who are professing to be Christian That they should have nothing to do with it And also to, to show pastors So many pastors that I have talked to Over the last uh, 8 to 10 years or so Sat down and showed them How Alcoholics Anonymous' writings and teachings Directly contradict the, the Bible and the doctrine And the gospel of Jesus Christ Folks, they don't care Very rarely do they care. Why? Because they say Alcoholics Anonymous helps people. I respond to that, so what? What is going to help anyone more than the beautiful, perfect, glorious gospel of Jesus Christ? There is no... More powerful message that you can give anyone for any sin that they're dealing with than the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, Alcoholics Anonymous helping people is a ridiculous excuse that just needs to be cast out. So, I would pray that you would look at the website. I'll have these notes on the website uh, in the next few days. There's an article on there about the big book that you'll see or the book Alcoholics Anonymous, and I'm going to continue to add to that article. We'll just, it'll be a, a growing article as we go forward as I add more and more of these notes. If you'd like to find us on the web, you can find us at way, the letter R122.org, or at RecoveryReformation.org. We have a Facebook group for The Way Radio Podcast. Just go to Facebook, look for The Way Radio Group. We also have a Recovery Reformation page and and The Way R122 page. If you have any questions if you need prayer, if you'd like, if if you've been through the program of AA and set free from it by Jesus Christ or freed from alcoholism or addiction through Jesus Christ and you'd like to come on the show, I'd love to talk to you, share your testimony with others. Just email me at chad at the way the letter R, 122.org. Thank you and God bless.